Welcome to Coffee and Change, a podcast where we talk about change in our lives, our work, and our world, and how we're managing it. On a recent episode titled The Principal's Perspective, one of my guests suggested, after we wrapped the show, that I set up a panel of parents and capture their perspective to see how they're doing in all this change amidst a global pandemic. The parents I interview are not only parents, but also educators. On episode 33, you'll meet Kevin and Jenna Donahue, Lauren Casella, and Janice Rice Mendez. This discussion gave me a lot of hope and I hope it gives you some as well. Enjoy the listen. Uh, my name is Kevin Donahue. I'm the principal at St. Joseph's School in Hawthorne, and uh, I'm married to my wonderful wife, Jenna, and we have three kids, ages five, three, soon to be four, uh, next week, and one. Um, I'm Jenna Donahue. I'm Kevin's wife. Um, I'm a Catholic school parent. Our oldest, John Paul, is in kindergarten at Kevin's school. Um, I am a graduate student at UCLA, uh, finishing up a dissertation in philosophy on moral complicity. Awesome. Thank you for, for joining. Um, Janice. My name is Janice Mendez. I am the mother of a five-month-old and a four-year-old. I've been in Catholic education for 12 years, and I am starting my fourth year as principal. Thank you. And Lauren. Okay. Hi, I'm Lauren Casella. I have um, four kids, Connor, who's eight in second grade, Marin, who is six in kinder, Gavin is four, and Emily is three. Um, my husband, Matt, and I are both working from home currently, and I'm um, an assistant clinical professor at Loyola Marymount University, and I'm director of the Catholic School Leadership Academy, and we are at home all together making it work. Well, thank you all for joining um, in these really interesting times. Um, I think uh, what spurred this conversation was a wonderful conversation with um, a group of principals and talking about how this, um, this you know, global pandemic has really shifted the way education is delivered um, and experienced um, at home. And the question came up, uh, wouldn't it be fascinating to capture the parents' perspective? Um, and I've talked to a number of siblings and some aunts and uncles who have shared those, but I but I thought this would be a really powerful discussion to capture how things are going for the parents. So um, Lauren, let me start with you, if you don't mind. Mm-hmm. Um, you had mentioned you have four four kids, is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how are things going? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I think looking back now, because we've been at this for into our fifth week of everybody being home, I think you know, the biggest challenge at the beginning was we had no functioning internet for three weeks. And so trying to do homeschool and teach online and not feel behind was probably the biggest challenge. But it also gave me the perspective of what it's like to not have internet at home. And probably if I had started 
we were all be clipping along with internet, I would have felt maybe more in control of things. So it's been a reflective um, experience to know who I am as a learner and how I like to run my household. And then just to, just to not have things functioning was very challenging for me personally. I think a lot of us in education, we, you know, we pride ourselves on being organized and having boundaries and structure. And there wasn't just a lot of time to really think about how this might go. Um, with no internet and, you know, just not all the tech set up and all of that. So um, I think it's coming and going in waves, but that was the biggest hurdle was my own expectations of what this was. It was kind of fun at the beginning, like, oh, I get to be a principal again. I get to run my own homeschool, but I quickly realized that's not what we were doing. So lowering my expectations initially was the key. Yeah, I appreciate you. I appreciate you sharing that perspective because I've talked to a number of people that you're right on that sort of first day. There are a lot of people who are like, oh, okay, well, yeah, I guess we can do this, but we don't quite know what our limitations are until we bump up against them. So um, mm -hmm. certainly a, um, a, a powerful perspective. Kevin and Jenna, I would love to go to you next. Um, obviously, both parents have little ones at home. Um, you know, Kevin, you're a principal. Jenna, you had talked about being in graduate school. So you guys have this on on all sides, little ones that you're educating and, and parenting. And then Jenna, you went through the experience as a graduate at UCLA on the receiver. So talk, talk to us a little bit about all of your perspective and experience as parents, principal, educator, and student all in the household. Well, I think the hardest thing about this situation, and I'm hearing this echoed from all the parents that I talk to that are also working parents, is just that it isn't possible to be your kid's teacher and do your job full time. And so what we're being asked to do isn't something that's possible. I love my kids. I really do. But like I have a career and there's a reason that the kids go to daycare and there's a reason the kids go to school. Like we divide these responsibilities for a reason. I, I mean, there are definitely wonderful things. I'm getting so much more time with John Paul. I'm getting to, to see how his day goes. I'm getting to see his love of learning and that's all beautiful. But like, you know, I'm supposed to be writing a dissertation and I also, I am a teaching assistant this quarter. So I'm also educating college students who are kind of all over the place. And so figuring out how to do the remote learning. Um, I mean, it's just, it's, it's hard. And the reason it's hard is because if there's just too much on our plate, this is the big, is the biggest thing about this situation. It's just that there's too much that I'm being asked to do, I guess. And I, I, I think kind of building off of that, um, I think like the second week you shared that idea with me, I think it was like on Facebook or something. And um, what I keep coming back to is, is because this is not a normal, a crisis situation, um, anything that there was a weakness in is going to be like more pronounced and anything where there was a strength in, you're going to need to lean on more. And so I think the two of us, um, have really worked on our communication. And so that's something that we've adapted to fit this time, but still has been a strength and saying, okay, you know, I have a zoom that I have to do now. You're going to have to watch the kid or, you know, I really need to get outside and get some exercise without, you know, a stroller and a bunch of other people following me around. I think that kind of communication is really key, um, especially for us. You know, we're in a three bedroom apartment and there isn't a lot of space um, or a lot of uh, 
kid-free space. So I think um, setting up like those boundaries and that communication strategy has been really key and recognizing that we're not going to be able to do everything. We're going to need some flexibility, but we're going to do our best and we're going to prioritize what needs to be prioritized. I think I just want to add and sort of building off of what Lauren was saying, I think the things that are going the best is when we cut ourselves some slack. And so I'm so grateful that Kevin's, sorry, that John Paul's teacher has been very flexible and patient with parents. And when I talk to fellow um, academic mama, parents, friends, the sort of biggest complaints that resonate with me are some teachers that are kind of being overly demanding, like um, giving their kids an assignment at 9 a.m. and expecting to get it back at 10 a.m. And I think that those kind of expectations just right now aren't reasonable. And so when we kind of um, have that flexibility coming from his teacher that she's happy to take the work that we're able to do when we're able to do it, I feel sort of supported by that. And like, we're kind of getting through things together. And so I'm grateful that that's my experience, but I know that it's not everyone's experience. Yeah, I think that's really um, important to kind of name that. And I appreciate you, Jenna, saying that. There was someone I was talking with the other day who is a a mother of um, an eight-year-old and six-year-old twins. And um, the importance of that aspect of cutting yourself some slack, um, because, you know, (laughs) there's, there's no real right way to do this. As you, as you pointed out, Kevin, you know, these are, this is a, you know, these are crisis moments and we have to communicate um, very clearly, but also not hold ourselves to this sort of standard of perfection um, as, as humans and certainly as parents. Um, Janice, I would love to um, get your perspective. Um, how are things going for you um, as a principal and as a parent? Well, um, I think after a month of trial and error, we're finally coming to some sort of uh, normalcy or I guess routine that's working out a little bit better. Uh, my husband is also working from home. He is a purchasing manager for a lighting distribution company. So he's uh, dealing with, uh, I guess, trying to do a lot of, still trying to keep business moving. Um, and of course, we're both concerned about um, lack of income. So we're trying to overcompensate, I guess, for um, to make sure that we still have jobs. And um, it has been hard because we do have the two children. And sometimes, like, for example, yesterday, none of us had, uh, he didn't have any meetings. But today, we both had meetings that started at 930. So I had to move out of my, my makeshift office that I had and move into the living room where now uh, my son is roaming about freely asking me where his mask is, even though we're not leaving the house. Um, so things like that, just logistics, that's a little difficult. Um, a quote that I've been seeing circulating the internet, which I feel like is very relevant in this time is, um, you're not working from home, you are at home during a crisis trying to work. And that's exactly what it feels like. Um, and in addition, I, I am very blessed because my mom, we moved my mom in with us about six months ago. So she's retired. And so she is caring for the children during the day. Um, but there's no like barrier to prevent them from coming, you know, to where we are working. So I don't even know how parents are doing it without that extra help, because even with her help, it's been very difficult. Um, you know, just this morning, we asked my son if he wanted hot cakes, and my husband got up and made them and then we served him and he was mad because we served him pancakes and he was expecting hot cakes, which we know are the same thing. 
Um, but he didn't know that. So he was really upset because he wanted hot cakes and he was served pancakes. So we had to kind of diffuse that argument and then, you know, get ready for our next task in the morning. So that's, that's how it's going. <laughs> I appreciate that story. It's very heartwarming. I mean, it is, it's so much, you know, there's so much that, uh, that children I think are, are teaching um, us in certain moments as well um, in, in this time. Lauren, I'd love to ask you um, this next question with regard to how you think um, this is going to change education um, going forward. You know, there's obviously the, the word leadership is in your title um, at, mm. at LMU. And mm. I think there's a lot of educators, parents, families, um, even some young people that are in families that are really having to step up at kind of these moments of, of leadership. And those all look very different. So I'd, I'd love to hear from you, your, your perspective on, you know, is, is the definition of leadership changing in education because of this? Um, and if so, what might it look like on the other side of whatever this is? That's a good question, Bill. Um, so I think what's being kind of highlighted and spotlighted right now is that in Catholic education, we, we wholeheartedly believe that parents are the primary educators of their children. And that for me as a parent is, is calming to me and it's centering to know that the church and the school philosophically trust that, um, that I love my children and we're, we're trying to do our best. And I think that takes some of the, maybe the accountability structure off of it. And that's just me putting that on my own self and my expectations. So I think more, more now maybe than we considered this idea that parents are really working with teachers to educate their children. And I've heard from non-educator parents saying, you know, it would be helpful if I got really like a layout of the whole year and I could know that like our end goal and like what are the projects that are working, that we're trying to work towards. And that's brilliant because in education, that's what we aim to do. We backward design from what are the main goals that we're trying to accomplish. So I think what we might see is parents taking an interest in projects and demonstration of learning. And I think we as teachers need to be just really open and humble to that feedback. So I think that might be um, an avenue to strengthen and build upon. And I think secondly, a lot of our traditional schooling has been, you know, I don't want to overly say it's been compliance-based and busy work, but if that's what's going on, this is exposing it in a lot of ways that it's, you know, the worksheets and um, the websites that are just checking for understanding. And what I hope is that we consider ways that when students do return to the classroom, how can we keep some of this autonomy that hopefully we've built and um, kind of fostered during this time where, you know, my eight, six and four year old are now taking walks around the block by themselves. Um, there's a lot more self-directed, like, you know, maker space or building time, which was a buzzword in education. But now I just bought a bunch of like hammers and nails and just said, please just go make something. Whereas maybe there's ways to 
kind of build that learn that type of learning that we're seeing now at home into our traditional school setting. So I think we just have to be kind of really open to avenues of feedback as to what really worked at home and what did you see blossom? And let's be open to, to thinking about that. But also the last thing I'll say, our capacity right now for fun and new ideas about how we're gonna reinvent school in the fall is, is not what we need to be thinking about. I think we are still in a crisis mode piece. And what is important is to capture some of these great moments and ideas and say, all right, let's just revisit some of this, but let's just think about where we're going to put the hand sanitizers when we do come back to school. And it's, it is going to be safety and emotional stability first. Yeah. There's three things I really like that you, that you called out that, um, that I'd like to kind of spotlight. One was like the, the power of the transparency. And I think the way that you described, you know, for a long time, um, parents probably said that they wanted a full picture of everything, right, for the year, but didn't necessarily um, follow through with that request. And now they're feeling it. So they're like, absolutely, I'd love, I'd love a full picture of the year so that I can understand. And now they're feeling it. They, they literally understand the backwards planning. So that, I think that's a, that's a huge benefit that's going to come out of it. Second thing you talked about was the this, this space and time for play um, and autonomy. And that's something that I'm hearing a lot from, from parents and, and colleagues of, of small children. And it reminds me a little bit of the way, the way I grew up and maybe some of you grew up, which was, yeah, we used to just kind of jump on our bikes and go around. And, you know, we, we used our imagination and we did a lot of, you know, hammers and nails and, and um, occupied, occupied that time which I think is, is going to emerge, which I think is a positive. And then the, the last thing I think you said, which is really important to call out, um, which is, and we see this a lot in organizations as well, is just because somebody has the great idea, don't then put the, the, the obligation only on them to then be the enactor of the great idea. Because to your point, it's very, yeah, there's all these wonderful ideas that parents are having to get by, but don't then, you know, beatify them and be like, great, you're now in charge of all of these things, planning them out because they don't have the capacity um, to, to do that on top of all the things that they're doing. So I think that's important to call out. There will be brilliant ideas that come to the surface, but because you provide a brilliant idea, it doesn't mean you should be the only one to, to carry it through, um, which I appreciate. Kevin and Jenna, I would love to, to go to, um, to you next and talk specifically about that aspect of, you know, um, autonomy, because I think before we got on, you know, the, the recording portion, you had talked about John Paul blazing through some pretty, pretty uh, uh, hefty books in Harry Potter. And one of the things I am pretty excited about that I'm hearing from a number of parents is that sense of autonomy that kids are really kind of taking, taking the initiative to fill the space and, and read more, explore more. Um, how has that balance been for you all? It seems like something that could be really exciting and fun, but at the same point, as Lauren, as, as Lauren called out, it's another thing to manage. So I'd love your thoughts on that. I, um, I think sometimes, and I, I think sometimes this is a tendency with early childhood, is, is that we tend to focus on the lowest common denominator. 
I think when you're in a classroom with 32 kids, you can't always necessarily think about, you know, what's my highest student able to do and how do I get them there? I think oftentimes we think about, okay, students 29, 30, 31, 32, how do I make sure they get to where they need to go by the end of the year? And so I think um, enabling every student in the classroom to have that autonomy. And, you know, if you got 32 kindergartners, that's really hard to do. Um, not that it's easy to do when you've got three kids in your own home and you're trying to work at the same time. But I think we do have that flexibility now as parents to say, okay, I know what my kid can and can't do to some extent, but I want to push them on what I think they can't do in order to challenge them to do more. And I think one of the things I've seen putting on my principal hat with my teachers is, is a little bit more of that and understanding that, you know what, the, the kids, maybe I didn't feel comfortable setting up stations in my classroom and having the kids on the iPads independently, but you know what, they can do that or they, they do know how to log into this. I didn't need to worry so much about it. And so I think one of the things just to kind of circle back to what Lauren said is, is that the teachers are seeing that um, some of the things that maybe scared them in the classroom environment and how am I going to maintain control and how I'm going to make sure they're on task and learning um, those fears have literally gone out the window as we've been dealing with this crisis situation. And I think it's, it is going to promote a little bit more of that sense of autonomy. Yeah, I mean, I think I think we're lucky. Kevin and I are lucky in, in that we have a really early reader. I mean, John is only five. He started reading at four. Um, so this thing hit and we, you know, we are, are privileged and that we both still have our jobs. So one of the first things we did was buy a Kindle. And it's really important to me that he not have unsupervised time where he has access to the internet. So the autonomy piece is a little complicated because I don't want him on his iPad that we do have from the school, which is great, unless one of us is kind of monitoring it, just because I think it's important that um, we just keep our thumb on, you know, there's all kinds of stuff online and the kids don't necessarily yet have, well, my five-year-old doesn't, it's a little different with the older students, but um, I don't really want him, but so the Kindle isn't connected to the internet. And so I can get an ebook from the Los Angeles Public Library download it on there. Kevin and I are able to screen, like we put, I put a bunch of books on there because I do want him to have the autonomy to make choices, but I don't want him to have like access to whatever Amazon has deemed is fine for all of the kids to read. So we've put some books on there from the public library and then yeah, he, he can kind of have some free reading time, which feels great to be able to provide that for him. Um, so, I mean, I think I can speak less than the, uh, the other three educators in the room about how this translates to um, once we go back to the classroom, but I am seeing it just to add a piece from the college side. I am seeing, you know, feedback from my students a little bit more on like the best ways that they learn and getting some feedback from them on things that I can do differently to help them still. I mean, we don't think of college students necessarily as being non-autonomous in the classroom, but I think sometimes they are. And so this kind of is helping me to think about ways to um, help them become the leaders in their own learning, even in the undergraduate setting. Yeah, I think that's a really valuable point. I mean, as I was a, I was a teaching assistant as well during graduate school, and um, you know, one of the best parts about it was just gathering the feedback of the students near real time to say what's working, what's not. So I do think it, there's going to be some really fascinating emerging learning um, that comes out of this. My spouse and I were walking through Seattle University campus um, yesterday, just taking a walk. Um, and, you know, we, we came across uh, an older gentleman who was walking, you know, doing kind of the, you know, walking the campus. Um, and he was 
you know, 82 year old Jesuit um, professor and um, he was taking a walk and, um, you know, we asked him, we said, hey, what are some of the things that, that, that you think will emerge out of this? Um, and he said, honestly, I'm excited that students will tell me exactly how they want to learn and what they want to learn. Um, and I think there's some aspect of the guesswork that um, is, is taken out of this a little bit and that sort of sense of obligation that an educator or a professor has to have um, every pathway figured out beforehand, before delivering it. So I, I do think that will be really interesting. Um, and, you know, talking with a lot of college seniors, I spoke with my, my niece last night um, who finished her last paper, you know, for college, and it just feels so different, you know, doing doing it this way. Um, and, and there are some emotions uh, that people are going through. And I think those emotions can teach us, teach us a lot. Um, Janice, I would love to shift uh, over to you and get your thoughts on kind of what, as we're talking about these, these things like autonomy and what's likely to change in some of the, the way education is delivered, um, your thoughts as well. Um, so quickly, just at home with my own child, um, he had just started TK a few months before the closure. So he had been introduced to a lot of things and he's learning pretty quickly. So a personal goal of mine is to work with him a lot during this time and teach him how to read. Um, and juggling that with working, you know, it's difficult. I'm fortunate, uh, like Jenna said, that his teacher is very flexible. Um, it is a lot of packets because he's four and there's little autonomy that you can give a four-year-old when it comes to technology because, um, you know, we've been down that path before where I've tried to put on things for him on like kids YouTube that are learning based. And then he's ended up on some video of a kid opening up toys and then it becomes this craziness. So we, we kind of took that away. Um, in my schools, uh, my school is a blended learning school. We actually, um, have a partnership with the ideal Institute at Loyola Marymount university. So that really helped because a lot of the students already had the knowledge and, um, the capacity to use, uh, technology and were already doing so from home. So that's a big plus in my, in my school. Um, but we have noticed with the elementary students that there's varying levels of support. And so we have some students who are not turning in much, not engaging. Um, one of the families, uh, their first responders, both of them, um, and they're in the front lines and working 13 hour shifts. So they don't have time to sit with their student and go through, you know, the Zooms or the, you know, videos and whatnot. And then we have some that are, you know, doing other types of work and they don't know how to teach their children because of the language barrier. Um, one thing to note that I've noticed is uh, middle school, again, we're a blended learning school. So the students already know how to use Google Classroom and a lot of the platforms that we're using. But I think because parents assume that they know what they're doing, they kind of leave them to their own um, device during the day and to do the work. And we're noticing that we're having to teach, again, digital citizenship and how to use these platforms effectively. Um, we've had a lot of problems with students. For instance, we have like whole school Zooms where we um, did the rosary or some other fun stuff. And we've asked the students to please make sure when you're on Zoom that you use your real name, that you're either showing your face via video or just your name. Um, and we had students, you know, changing their pictures, writing on screens, um, coming up with funny, you know, names, spaghetti arms or silly things um, that's distracting. So parents probably 
appreciate that a lot of the work can be completed independently, um, but we still need their support in monitoring what their students are doing. Um, and I think a lot of those concerns have come to light, so we've had to address them as a school. Um, so we're definitely trying to promote them to do the work independently, but I think when parents assume that most of it can be done independently and don't interact or intervene, then we uh, new certain new problems uh, come to the surface. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, essentially, this this um, virtual world becomes a playground in itself, right? I mean, we, it's kids are kids, and you're right. There will be people that are, are kind of play tricks or change names and things like that. So that's certainly we have to keep that in mind. Like, what's distracting versus what's effective in the learning and um, I think it's very similar in, in, in all industries right now that are trying to navigate this space. Um, sort of my last question as we get ready to, to round out, um, and I'll bring it back to Lauren. Um, just unmute you really quickly, Lauren. Uh, you might be. There we go. Um, so my last question for uh, all of you, I'll start with Lauren, is um, how are you staying healthy in change? <laughs> Um, this is one of those things that um, I usually ask a lot of guests because uh, everybody has a slightly different variation of that. And I think all of you as parents and educators um, have to carry an, an extra load. So I'm curious to see how each of you are staying healthy, in quotes, <laughs> and change. It is a hard question. Um... You know, a lot of the, the work I do is this idea of social emotional learning and this idea of, you know, naming your emotions. And um, like I, I started our conversation saying, this is like forced me to be really reflective in noticing that I don't have my structures in place that I, that I did have, like all my scaffolds to say, like, these are the two times a week where I go and I do my workout or I if I know the tension's really building, like I'll get a massage or um, I know I just need to see a friend to get away. And I think it, it kind of built up to the fact that it was like maybe two and a half, three weeks in where that's when I started to realize that, um, you know, I'd set up everything for my kids supposedly, you know, my husband and my relationship is bizarre now because we're co-teaching in our homes. I mean, it's like now he's like my co-teacher and we're not, it's like, we're not like what we used to be like husband and wife. We have our date nights, just some of that stuff. It was just at least realizing that emotionally, it's just very draining to kind of go through this. So I think at that point, I started to say, well, I guess I will have to book in like the yoga class online. Like I really do not want to crack open my laptop again to do a workout, but that's the closest I can do to what, what I used to do. Um, and I'll say this week hasn't been great with like personal care, but at least I know in the back of my mind that once I get to that point, I have to go back to inputting some structures. So it's not great, but it's going to ebb and flow. So trying to drink water, get a good sleep routine, which I don't have right now. Cause I like now watch TV too late and, um, and just trying to get walks. I think trying to go outside is the, is the 
most important thing right now that I'm trying to do for myself and for the family. So just be outside. I mean, we're in Southern California. Our hometown has snow as of the moment. So these are the simple joys. Go outside. Absolutely. Yeah. I was talking to a few people in Chicago and Michigan and I could see on their Zoom there was snow. I was just like, I'm going to stop complaining now because <laughs> it's 65 degrees and sunny in Seattle right now. So I'm going to stop complaining. Kevin, um, Kevin and Jenna, uh, would love to hear from you. How are, how are you both staying healthy and changed? Um, I think the, the big thing that I focused on and not to be too stereotypical male is just uh, doing what Lauren said and, and naming my emotions and expressing them. So, um, uh, you know, two, three weeks ago, um, I was looking at what my kindergartner was doing and we had fevers in the house and it was like this scary time. And so, you know, I named that and I owned it and I shared that with our parent community and, um, the feedback I got from other families saying like, we really appreciate this openness. We really appreciate this, um, and knowing this and we're praying for you and we're here for you. Um, I think that to me was a way forward and a way through, um, you know, two nights ago, I looked at Jenna and I said, I'm feeling really down tonight, you know? And I think, um, there was a great article in the, the Harvard business review about, you know, that feeling you're feeling is grief. And I think we need to all understand that, um, for those of us that are adults and can really understand this, we're definitely like in the midst of a crisis moment. And that for those of us that are parents, and maybe we have kids that don't fully understand what's going on, um, we're taking on some of that grief and that emotional weight for them too, uh, which definitely makes it harder and um, more difficult. And we don't, like Lauren mentioned, have our normal outlets. So um, I think naming and communicating our emotions is, is one thing that I've tried to do. And then like Lauren mentioned, you know, I think um, I'm a runner. So just getting out and like trying to get that run in um, like I usually do um, and give myself opportunities and chances for breaks, you know, whether that's playing a board game with friends or um, we have a friend that's set up like long distance trivia, like you would have in a bar, but over zoom. And that's on Thursday nights been, you know, fun and a break from the routine and, and all of that. So. Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, so two simple things is I'm trying to exercise every day and I'm trying to prioritize sleep. So, I mean, kind of connecting back to the beginning of our conversation about lowering our expectations. Like I just think, Right now, sleep is really important. And so if that means that the chapter of the book that I was hoping to get read doesn't get read tonight, or if the, um, you know, the dishes stay in the sink overnight, like I'm just really trying to make sure that I'm sleeping. Um, but yeah, I mean, just kind of, connect, I want to connect a little bit to what Kevin was saying about the grief. I mean, one thing as a parent, like our, our middle kiddo turns four next week and don't get me wrong, like I am... I think absolutely things should be closed. I'm not advocating that we should reopen and like have his birthday party at Chuck E. Cheese like we were planning, but like I am grieving the loss. You know, he was so excited about his first Chuck E. Cheese birthday and like being there with his friends. And um, as a mom, like it is hard to watch him lose something like that. Um, And so, you know, we're trying to recreate kind of connected to the, mental health side of things, but we're trying to do the best we can to recreate connection. So we'll see how it goes. Like I ordered some decorations from Party City. I'm going to decorate the apartment. We're going to have a Zoom call with the friends that are able to make it and sing happy birthday for him. And so it will certainly not be the same, but um, 
just trying to still make it a celebration in the midst of all of this. And I think, I think just really leaning into that, leaning into the celebration is another way to support, I think, our health, like our mental, our mental health and, and, um, still allowing ourselves to celebrate in the midst of the crisis, because it is important to celebrate the small moments, the great moments, the, the chance to read with your kid in the middle of the day that you wouldn't normally get. So allowing myself to, to celebrate amongst the difficulties, I guess. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I appreciate that you both talked about things that are very sort of top of mind for me, Kevin, as you described, naming the emotions is really important. I, I too have felt, especially in this past week, you know, I felt like this wave of sadness um, that I hadn't really felt in the first couple of weeks. And I, and I, I attribute that to sort of that, you know, you need to jump into action and you need to help people out. And as you all have beautifully described, you know, those first couple of weeks of how are we going to get set up? How are we going to take care of the kids? How are we going to take care of the families? Like you do all that. And then, and then at some point your body kind of goes into this, like, Whoa, you know, and the, this wave of sadness hit me last week. And I noticed myself sleeping a little bit more, you know, and, um, you know, my spouse was a little bit worried, like, Hey, is everything okay? And I said, yeah, I think everything's fine. I'm just, I'm feeling the wave of sadness now. Um, and it's, you know, as, as you described, Jenna, like my initial body reaction was to resist it. But then I stopped and I said, this is exactly what needs to happen. I need to feel the sadness. I need to grieve the loss. Um, I need to think about those that are trying to celebrate moments that matter in new ways while also, you know, grieving the, the original plan. Um, and I too have noticed that, you know, stopping in the middle of the day and, and reading um, or taking a nap for 20 minutes is just an okay thing to do. Like navigating that relationship with sort of what used to be the bit of guilt that comes with that. And now understanding that it's actually a, a moment of empowerment to allow you to, to be present and to, to continue helping yourself, your loved ones and, and those that you support. I, I just really appreciate you both naming that. And yeah, there, there are nights the dishes are in the sink and you know what? it's okay. <laughs> like, you know, they'll be there tomorrow. Um, and it's more important to, you know, grab a moment to, to snuggle with your kid or read that extra page to them or whatnot. So I appreciate that. Um, last, but certainly not least Janice, I would love your thoughts and, and how you're staying healthy and change. Well, um, for one, I'm a very social being and we are social butterflies. We, there's hardly a weekend that we were home um, we have some really close friends, about four other couples that we meet with on a regular basis that have children around the same age as ours. And they're, we're all very close and we hung out a lot. So, um, that part is really hard. We've become very creative. We had brunch together two months ago via zoom, two months, two weeks ago via zoom, um, where everybody put on their, their zoom and all of our kids and families had brunch and we chatted and, I think it's for us in this house, um, we are trying to be as creative as possible with what we can do. Um, we are making it a priority to walk every single day, even when we're tired and we don't want to. Um, we live in a hilly, a hilly area, so going up and down those hills is a good exercise for us and a lot of fresh air, so we are making that a point. Um, we are deciding to sleep train our youngest so that we can actually sleep because 
um, waking up at two and four in the morning and then trying to be prepared for a meeting at eight uh, was killing us. So we are doing really well with that. And I'm really excited about that. Um, we are making, trying to make fun, you know, of this difficult situation. So for example, um, we have paint nights where we say, okay, we're all going to paint tonight. And we find a guided painting video on YouTube. Um, we project a movie on the wall in the living room and we all just snuggle up and watch a movie because it's different. It's something that we normally don't do. Um, we decide to cook a meal together as a family. Uh, we decide to make a huge fort in the living room, you know? So it's just for us, it's trying to make fun things happen in, you know, in light of what's going on. We can't go out, we can't do what we normally do, but we're going to make these little activities happen for our four-year-old because he, you know, he, he talks to his godmother on FaceTime and he's like, you know, I can't wait to see when the coronavirus is over. And just hearing him say that stuff, it's it's so sad because it's like, gosh, you know, you're four and you're having to experience this and deal with this. So, um, you know, it's for us, it's it's the walking, it's the routines. Definitely what they said is communicating. We've decided to have a family meeting now once a week where we all sit down at the table and talk about um, positives for the week, negatives, being able to kind of discuss our discontent with each other or things that we'd like to improve or our feelings. Um, you know, just things like that. This is our new norm for now. We don't know how long it's going to last. Um, but I feel like if we don't try to make it fun and try to change things up a bit, we're going to be in a bad place. So that's, that's kind of how we're, we're doing it. I so appreciate that. Um, the idea of the fort building and the putting the movie on the wall just like makes me smile from the inside out. Um, I re I'm reminded of really great memories of with nephews and nieces when we used to project the, you know, we'd go out and get the projector and put it on the side of the house, right? And we'd, we'd have the speakers and, and watch, um, you know, the movie outside um, or build in the forts. Um, I so appreciate all of your, all of your time, your perspectives, your testimonials, um, and everything that you're doing for your families, for the schools, uh, for your communities. Before I close, is there anything else anybody else would like to add or share? Um, uh, any final thoughts? Um, if not, I'll, I'll, I'll let you guys kind of get back to your, your new normal, but feel free. Yeah, Lauren, go ahead. Um, I just wanted to maybe shout out to all those parents who have teenagers right now. Um, that this whole quarantine and these students who we know crave these social interactions and lunch tables and sports. I just, my heart goes out to the kids who want to be around their friends more than anything. And like the worst possible punishment for some of them might be to be at home with their siblings or with their parents. Um, so I think in many ways, I feel really lucky that my kids are you know, eight and down where they're the spot where they do love their family. For the most part, they enjoy their sibling time. And, you know, I, I just feel for kids who are, you know, maybe home alone, their parents are both working. And especially for, you know, the teenagers who just, this is the time in their life when they want to be around each other and where their identity is formed by, just being with peers. So I feel lucky for my kids' ages and my heart goes out to parents who are trying to help their teenagers right now. 
Absolutely. Yeah, I've, I've had the opportunity to chat with a few, a few teenagers in my own family. Um, and yeah, it is, it is very hard for them. Things feel very um, compressed for them right now. And um, I'm, I'm conscious of that as well. Um, thanks again. I appreciate your time.